welcome everyone to uh, Education Matters. This is uh, your host, Wayne Ackles, and I'm incredibly excited today to have uh, my good friend and mentor, colleague, and all-around good human being, Dave Paddock. Uh, I'll let him introduce himself a little bit more in a minute. And uh, this is our first guest, so it's exciting on a lot of fronts that we've got this guest. And so we're going to turn it over for Dave to introduce himself and then talk a little bit about culture. Um, one of the themes that I've mentioned at different times during the podcast so far is culture. And that's something that I come back to in terms of leadership and talking about you know, what makes a school a solid school and a place that kids want to be. And culture is such an important part of that. And I can't think of anyone better at uh, establishing culture, coming in and helping change school culture than Dave Paddock. And that's part of the reason he's here today. So uh, I'm going to let Dave talk a little bit about his past experience, you know, what w his experience prior to Fairport. And then uh, we're going to talk about some of the culture building experiences he's had. And uh, that'll be a, the bulk of our show today. Sounds good, Wayne. Thank you. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your your past. Most people know you as the, the principal from Fairport High School, but you did have prior experience to this where you were building and learning some of those lessons. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that prior experience before you got to Fairport? Sure. Glad to. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I started out, Wayne, as a, a physical education teacher and a coach. And uh, by the time I got to Fairport, 20 years later or 25 years later, I, I would say to kids sometimes, what, you know, what do you think I taught when I was starting out? And it, they were always shocked and surprised to hear that I was a phys ed teacher. I don't know what they thought I was, but uh, it, it was always, uh, they go, really? When I would tell them that I started out as a phys ed teacher, like my dad was, my dad taught phys ed in Fairport and coached in Fairport for many years. So I started out down in Penyan. Uh, when I got out of college, my parents had a house on Cuca Lake, and it was a, a great place to start out teaching. I taught there for 11 years, coached basketball, coached some soccer, a little, few other things, but um, taught physical education. And then um, one year, uh, I was inspired by a colleague who was getting his administrative degree, and I thought, well, you know, maybe I should think about that, and uh, decided to take some courses at Cortland State to find out if it was something I was interested in. And quite honestly, Wayne, when I started out in my administrative coursework, I was thinking that, you know, maybe someday I'll be the director of athletics mm -hmm. at, at, at Penny Ann. I was happy teaching there. It was a great school, a great community. And I was in the athletic world. So I thought that would be, a, you know, down the road, that might be a good thing to do. So one thing leads to another. I get my certification in administration. One of the funny things about that is when I was taking the courses at Cortland, I, I, it was very interesting. But one of the things I said to my wife when I came home one night from class was, I'm really glad I'm doing this, but I can tell you one thing. I don't ever want to be a principal. <laughs> and uh, So I never say never, I guess, is the moral of the story. Uh, but I finished up the uh, administrative coursework. And at that point in time, I thought, well, I've got this certification and this extra degree. And I started applying for jobs as, a, as an assistant principal, your, your typical entry-level position for school administrators. And eventually, after failing in a number of interviews, uh, I landed at Kendall Central Schools as an assistant principal. I had a wonderful experience there. I was only there for three years, but uh, I had mentors there that really helped uh, shape me and form me as an administrator. 
and I carried those lessons forever. Michael Laughlin was the principal at the time, and a man named Harlow Fisher was a superintendent. It was a little district. There was just four of us administrators, and uh, so you did everything. And I remember early on, the superintendent came to me after a month or two and said, Dave, we want you to be as, as, well, as, uh, as well as assistant principal. We'd like you to be the director of staff development. <laughs> And I said, well, that's great. What's that? You know, <laughs> I was as green as could be. And I, I, but in a small place like that, you get so many experiences, so many opportunities. And I learned so much in three years. But my wife and I wanted to get back towards the Finger Lakes. And uh, a job came up at Newark mm-hmm. in Wayne County as a, the assistant principal at Newark High School. And uh, that was closer to where we wanted to live. So I applied and became the assistant principal at Newark High School. This was in this was 1990, I believe, and I did that job for one year, and then the principal, Laura Frank, who also was a great mentor, left uh, to go to be a superintendent down in Westchester County, and she recommended that I be the uh, interim principal, which I was named the interim principal at Newark, uh, became the full-time principal shortly after that, and stayed there as principal. I was AP for one year, principal for four more years. And then, Wayne, I was at a meeting for principals. It was in Webster, over in Webster, in a school building there. Came out of the meeting. It was a principal's meeting. There was lots of us there. I came out, and I walked down the hall. And you had to go by the HR office at Webster. And they had all the job postings up there. And this big red F caught my eye. And I knew that was the Fairport Block F. And it said, uh, high school principal position, apply by whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I did what I think anybody would do. I looked up and down the hall. I didn't see anybody out. So I ripped it off the wall, <laughs> eliminate a little bit of the competition <laughs> and knew that that was going to be my dream job if I could somehow get it. Things worked out. I went to Fairport in 1995. I had 13 years there and loved every minute of it. So that's kind of the, the route I took to, to come to be the principal at Fairport High School. And then work with you. Well, it, and it's and it's funny you mentioned the mentors and and choosing the path that you did because when I got into teaching, I for a longest time the the thought of administration didn't cross my mind at all until I met you and watched how you did the job. And I said to you know I tell people that I had no interest in administration, and then I saw this guy Dave Paddock out in the hallway talking with kids, doing the little things, being there and, you know, the little support, not only for kids, but staff, parents in just so many ways. And I think that's something that gets lost is how important those mentors and those people that do show those good examples are in terms of what we do. Um, We hear a lot about instruction. You know, that's something that gets a lot of news coverage and and even in education courses or administrative courses, there's a lot of focus on instruction. Um, But I wanted to go in a direction as we we talked about with culture earlier. You know, why is having that building culture and district culture uh, so important to reaching students, not just at an academic level, but just keeping them involved in school and, and in the game, if you will? Well, you know, I, I agree with you, Wayne, about uh, obviously the importance of instruction. Uh, and that's why it's so important to hire great teachers and, and, and keep mm-hmm. them and support them. Um, but you mentioned, uh, you used the phrase early on when we first started talking about making school a place where kids want to be. And that comes down to the, the culture uh, that you create. And um, 
I, I do think that culture is created by uh, the entire building. It's it's a we thing. I, I do think principals have the opportunity to set a tone, and I, I'm mm-hmm. I'm doing some administrative mentoring now and uh, with people in, in the area, and I I talk a lot about you can't control everything, but you set the tone for the building, and uh, I I guess it's just really really important to me that the tone is positive, that it's upbeat, that it's loving, and that mm-hmm. you create an atmosphere that not just students enjoy and want to come to, but I think your teachers, your custodians, mm-hmm. your secretaries, your administrative assistants, and all the people that are there. Fairport High School had about 2,000 people come there every day. And um, some days were easier than others. Some days were fun, and some days were nothing but you know tough issues to deal with. But um, by working together and making it a we thing and not an I thing, mm-hmm. by supporting people, by being positive, and having fun, and uh, you kind of alluded to that as well too. And I, I, I think it, I think it is fun, and school should be fun. Learning should be fun. Um, it's not for all kids at all times, but uh, I think the leaders in the school, the teachers, and the administrators, and everybody responsible for creating the atmosphere, need to be positive, need to be uh, encouraging, and need to make it a place where kids want to come. If they don't want to come, if they're if you're forcing them to be there. And they're not happy to be there. That's not going to work. <laughs> it just isn't going to work. Well, and and something you mentioned that's important is in that vein as well is is also having staff buy in so that they want to be there too because it trickles down. Yeah. And and I, I think it was in a lesson that you taught me uh, at some point. We were talking about I don't know what there there was something. I think it was actually post Columbine. Mm. And I think you were speaking to the staff and you said something that. If the kids see that you that you're okay, they'll be okay being back here. Yeah, and and that's an important lesson that hey, we're gonna have fun. You know, it's okay for you to smile. Yeah. It's okay to to you know that have a good time while you're in the classroom. And I think those are some important lessons that you, you've always you've always shared with people and taught. If I could, Wayne, one other thing that you you mentioned that I think is important. I don't want to skip over it is um, about being in the halls and and you said doing the little things. And mm-hmm. quite honestly, I think the little things are the most important things. For example, knowing as many students by name as you possibly can, going to as yeah. many events as you can and still keep the balance between your you know home and school. That's important for administrators and leaders as well, too. But I don't think there's anything more important, quite honestly, than being able to go down to walk down the hallway and say, I really enjoyed your concert last night, Susie or great game last night, Wayne, or whoever it might be. Um, right. You, know, like we've, you and I have talked a lot about visibility and how important that is and, est- and how critical that is to establish relationships, which those two things together help create that culture that I think um, you and I are talking about. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm going to shift gears a little bit from, it's another little thing that we've talked a lot <laughs> about. Um, we've talked a lot about visibility. But let's talk about donuts, donuts. and the building yes. culture. <laughs> and and then, you know, let's take that in terms of the buy-in from kids. And then also we talked a little bit about staff, but the buy-in from kids and staff are a little bit different as to how you get there. And I think I think there are some, there is some crossover, but talk a little bit about that difference between the buy-in from kids in a building and the staff in a building. And what are the challenges with both of them? Well, you know, 
Wayne, one, a couple of things that I use, I've always said is um, 12th graders uh, respond the same to the same things that kindergartners do. And that's not a criticism at all. Kids are kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you joked about the donuts, but one of the things that we try to do every week is have that principal's recognition program, which we honored about 12 kids every every week. Uh, they'd come down to the principal's office. We'd have donuts and juice or chocolate milk or something. And and that program was such a critical part to helping create that culture and reinforcing with the kids that we we like you, you know, knowing their name says we like you too. That program became better once we included teachers and faculty members in that as well. And so as much as kindergartners and 12th graders respond to the same things, I learned after a while that so do faculty and staff as well. A pat on the back, uh, a certificate that says you're doing a great job, a note in your mailbox. I One of our great teachers uh, over the years, a friend of yours and mine, John Baines, uh, I went into... And, <laughs> John was a master teacher, as, as you well know. And I, I observed John a few times. And um, after one of the only times, I just went back to my office and wrote a letter and stuck it in John's mailbox saying, John, it's such an honor, honor to be in your class today. Students are lucky to have you. Thanks for all, all you do. That note was on John's bulletin board for the next 10 years. So mm-hmm. it's that little pat on the back, that little acknowledgement. Maybe that's the word, the acknowledgement that you're an important person works for kids. And works for the adults as well. And it's important for both. Well, and I think in our piece of that too, you know, that acknowledgement that they're that you're important and that you belong. And also we we are really good, I think, in schools at catching kids when they've done something wrong. Yeah. And something like principal's recognition is a great way to catch them when they're doing the good things. Yeah. And and that was one of the things that struck me over time was here's some recognition. There were so many times where, hey, this this student, you know, Johnny or Susie helped out when this situation either helped out a fellow student and it just helped reinforce repeatedly how you how you wanted students to how we all wanted students to react and act with each other. And and it becomes kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy if you keep reinforcing that. When we used to also and a lot of schools do this, have good news from FHS cards and teachers could fill them out mm-hmm. and send them home. You know, drop them off the office, we'd mail them home. And I really encourage uh, those as well. And as you know, I used to go to seniors' houses for breakfast. Uh, and more than once, as I was sitting at breakfast in a student's home, I'd look on the refrigerator and see a good news from FHS card. And I'd say, who sent you that? You know, and, and they might say, oh, that was from Mr. Ackles. I got that in 10th grade. Well, here they are, seniors. Two years yeah. later, it's still on the refrigerator. It took It took you or whoever the teacher was less than a minute to fill that out and give that kid some credit for doing his homework three days in a row, whatever it might be. And um, the parents are so thrilled with that, that they put it on the refrigerator and kept it there for two or three years. That to me, that shows how powerful little things are. Yeah. And I, and the idea of, again, it's a little thing that doesn't take a lot of time. You know, it's not a grand program. It's not something that you have to bring an outside expert in and spend thousands and thousands of dollars in your district to make happen. These little things are a great building block to get the culture that you want to have happening in your building. Little things. And again, exactly. (laughs) For sure. Now, when you've worked to change the building culture, 
And, you know, we were talking about teachers and you and I have talked about this both when I was an AP and, and over the years when we're hiring. What what were the qualities that you were looking for? Now, it, you know, there's a lot of different schools of thought to this. And I always thought you had a great take on it. And I'd like to hear a little bit about that. And, and when you were trying to find change agents or people that fit the culture when you were hiring. Well, yeah, that's a really important point, I think, uh, because I said earlier, it's creating the culture is a we thing. And it takes all the adults, mm -hmm. all the leaders to create the culture you want. So when you're hiring, uh, you you are really looking for people who are a good match uh, with the culture you're trying to create. And, um, you know, you and I were both involved with lots of hiring over the years. And uh, we always had committees with students and parents and everybody else doing it. And if I was hiring a math teacher, let's say, or we were hiring a math teacher, pretty much every candidate that came in through the, to, for an interview, they were good at math. And, mm -hmm. and they probably liked math. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, we wanted teachers who were good at math and who liked math as well. But what I would try to get to in those interviews or walking down the hall with them or watching them do a lesson, uh, a demonstration lesson was, what was in their heart? Why did they want to be a teacher at Fairport High School in the first place? And I would ask them now, why did you go into education? And if it was because they loved math or if it was because they liked math, that was a red flag for me. If it was because they liked math and they were good at math and they loved working with teenagers, that's the person we're looking for because not everybody that likes math or is good at math becomes a great teacher. Teaching uh, 16 and 17 year olds stuff that they may not care about doesn't have a whole lot to do with how good you were with math in high school. It's more with how well you are able to connect with those kids. So we're looking for that ability to connect. We're looking for that love of working with young people and just that maybe personality or the intangible that says, this is a person that's going to add to our culture. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it was, as we've been talking, one of the other groups that you've talked about is you, you mentioned the we, that it's a we thing yeah. and you mentioned that it's admin or administrative assistants and others. I'm going to mention a name here. Okay. This is someone that came up in a conversation actually in the last couple of days. And this is not someone that was on the teaching staff. This was not someone that had a regular title, but was, I think, an instrumental part Herb. in the building of, and that was Herb Graham. <laughs> I knew you were going there. So talk a little bit about, you know, the importance of a, you know, here's a guy that uh, really is not someone that would necessarily show up in the, um, I guess, the program <laughs> or, uh, you know, he's not on the players list, yeah. you know, for a team, oh, but was is so instrumental. So talk a little bit about that yeah. and his, the role that he played and why he was so important to the building. I'll, I'll expand a little bit, but simply Herb Graham, who we both love, was great in that building because as big a man as he was, his heart was bigger. And I just alluded mm -hmm. a minute ago about trying to find out what's in somebody's heart when we're interviewing them. And uh, when we hired Herb, there was clearly a sense that this is a guy who we hired technically as a hall monitor. Well, Herb became uh, a pseudo, he was a hall monitor, but he became a pseudo guidance counselor, uh, assistant principal, assistant coach, uh, you name it, uh, kids went to her for help when they were down. You know, if, if a kid was angry, um, 
we'd say, Herb, uh, you know, Johnny's upset. Uh, can you take him for a walk? And Herb would take him walk around the building. And he just had that ability to connect with kids. That um, is exactly what we're looking for. And yeah, Herb became certainly one of our leaders in the building. Um, he was in- instrumental in us developing our brotherhood sisterhood program, which was part of the culture, of course, for and still is at Fairbrook High School. But uh, you know, Herb wasn't not an educator. He came to us as a retired Xerox person, and uh, became clearly one of the most valuable people we had in the building. And he's a perfect example of what we were trying to hire, and that is somebody who has the ability to and wants to connect with kids. Uh, on their on, on their good days and on their bad days, and that, that's why I think all of us grew to respect and like Herb so much. Yeah, and I think he was a great example of the caring hall monitors in general that we had. Yeah, I oh, would yeah. put them up against any group in any building that I've ever worked in, and and even you know hearing from colleagues and and who they have, and sometimes they have. Um, you know, professional security staff, et cetera, that are more trained. But um, I don't think you can find people that were were more caring than than the sentries and and the the hall monitors that we had at Fairport during that time. So one of the things, you know, we, we talked about building a culture, and sometimes there are some things that um, in our roles within schools that uh, we have to you know, when it comes to discipline and some things that are a little tougher. And I think one of the procedural things that uh, I took with me from Fairport and the work that we did, and I think a lot of schools um, have gone to this, and I think successful schools that deal with drugs and alcohol have gone to this, where the the principal's contracts, as we call them, um, I'm blanking on the, the, the technical name for them, but for those that don't don't know what this is, you know, there's uh, the possibility when someone is facing a suspension that you can waive the hearing, waive the rights to a hearing and set up a principal's agreement. And that was something that I thought was very important in building broader culture, not only uh, within the building in terms of people seeing that we were handling issues, but also in the broader outside of the school community where we were talking with parents and working with parents to show them that we want, you know, we were all working for the best efforts of their, of their kids, even in some of these really, really tough situations. Right. Talk a little bit about that, you know, how that developed and, and um, some of the thinking behind that. Uh, Well, Wayne, um, you know, if a student was found uh, to be violating the drug and alcohol policy, that's a serious charge. And, and traditionally, that would end up in a superintendent's hearing, which which tends to be kind of legalist, legalistic. It can be uh, a difficult situation. Parents sometimes bring in their lawyer, and the school lawyer is there, and everybody. It's kind of a confrontation. And um, actually, Bill Kella, when Bill came to Fairport, he introduced uh, what we had talked about doing, and Bill gave us a green light to go ahead with we would say to parents in those situations, we can go through a superintendent's hearing if you'd like. Once we get into that situation, it's out of our control. As a hearing officer, he makes the decisions and it really is between two parties and and we can go that way, you have a legal right to do that. But we would also say to the parents, or if you prefer, we can just sit here 
come back tomorrow, have a principal's hearing with you and, and, and your son or daughter and the counselors, and we'll sit around the table and we'll try to figure out together what works best for the student. And we had standards, uh, for example, in those days and times changed, but for a first time marijuana violation, we were usually, um, our standard was pretty much a, a long-term suspension. And it could be, it could be the rest of the semester. It could be the rest of the year. And sometimes those could be 10, 15, 20 weeks. That seems like a, a harsh penalty this, in, from my perspective at this time, but it worked at the time. Mm-hmm. We didn't want students out that long. So in a principal's hearing, we could sit with the parents and, and uh, come to an agreement of a much shorter time period for the student to be out of school. And they would also agree to uh, maybe some counseling. Always we would, we can't mandate counseling, but we could offer it. Right. And as parents saw that that was an attempt to try to help the student avoid the situation in the future, they felt good. Um, we, of course, always provided tutoring so the student was, wasn't falling behind their classwork. I guess to get to the end of it, this, what this really was, was it was an agreement between the school and the parent, as opposed to the school hammering the kid and saying, here's what we're going to do to you. Mm-hmm. And I think the principal's hearing allowed us to reduce the length of time they were out and come to a mutual agreement about, yes, we have to hold him accountable and have to discipline him, but we can also combine that with support and uh, make it a mutual agreement. The nice thing about it, Wayne, was that, and you were, sat through many of those and were part of them, when parents left those principal uh, meetings, principal's hearings, instead of a superintendent's hearing, I think they felt like they were heard and they were able to contribute to what the final outcome was. And for the most part, I would say 95% of the time, we reached a, a mutual agreement where the parents were satisfied and we were satisfied that we were doing our job as well too. So. That was a, a great way to go about it. And I've worked in a few schools since then where we've tried to bring that in because it was such a better atmosphere mm-hmm. of cooperation instead of confrontation. It worked well. Well, even the name, and and we yeah. called them helping contracts. Because yeah, that's right. The, the goal was, it, it truly was to help. This It wasn't just about punishment. There was an element of, you know, there was time out of school. But there was also yep. that connection to outside resources, because otherwise, if you just if you just send a student out, as we both know, and there's no follow up with any kind of yep. substance abuse work or anything else, well, we all could be back there three months from now, or six or ten or whatever. Yeah, I, I really uh, you, you take a situation that can be very difficult and then turn it into an opportunity for collaboration is what it ended yeah. up being. Instead of Sitting having a difficult uh, confrontational meeting with parents, it was a let's see how we can work this out, and, and they knew that the student was going to be disciplined. That was part of it as well, too. Sure. But I think they went out feeling good that we cared about them, we were there to help them, and I tried to always make it a point too to check in on them. I would call a week later, or uh, you might call as the assistant principal or counselor. So it wasn't just like you're out of our school for five weeks, we don't want to see you here. It was never like that. It was more like. Here's what we have to do. We have to hold you accountable for that. You broke a very serious school rule, but here's how we can help. And um, I, I just remember parents leaving, feeling feeling good about the fact that um, they were treated. And I think their part was they knew us. They weren't sitting in a room right. with some lawyers or some district office people who they didn't know. They knew that you were there to help the kid. The guidance counselor was sitting there and uh, 
it, it was it was a, a good way to to take care of those situations. And I think part of the culture is when that kid comes back, you don't want him angry. Right. Right. You know, you don't want the parents angry. Well, that doesn't help anybody either. So, well, especially, you know, a student may go through that, you know, in, in the case of Fairport, we're dealing with sophomores through seniors. And a lot yeah. of times, some of those first mistakes of their sophomore year, you're, you're going to be with that student for the next three years. And so building that relationship out of the, even if I, on something tough, sometimes those are some of the best relationships between parents in the school where, where they saw that, hey, you were on there trying to do the best to help them out in a very tough situation to get the, the best result for their child. I think even Wayne, a simple statement sometime of, which I used to say, and I think others have, have said when, when you're disciplining the, the kid and the parents are there or the parents aren't there, I say, you know, Johnny, I, I hate this. I wish I didn't have to do this. You're such a good kid, but this mistake, has, we have to hold you accountable for that. Right. I think that approach, as opposed to you can't break these rules and here's what's going to happen to you. And, and I don't think that's common, but I think um, tone is everything in treating a kid who has made a mistake with respect and treating those parents with respect goes a long ways to how they react to the consequences. So we're both out of the day-to-day grind of, of running school buildings. And something that's been on my mind with the turn of the new year is the change in the marijuana laws. Yeah, I thought about and that. And I, I know how I feel from a public policy standpoint. Um, I feel a little bit differently as a former school administrator. And I was kind of curious as to your take on that. Well, I don't know the law well enough. Is is it legal for uh, you know uh, under eighteen or under twenty one? I'm I'm not sure it is. So, I I believe it is not legal for anyone under the age 21. of twenty one. I think they followed the the uh, alcohol yep. rules fairly similarly. Yep. Um, so, you know, I I had a feeling you were going to ask me this question, and I'm not totally sure how I feel about it. I haven't got enough thought, but knowing that it's still illegal for t- teenagers. I'm not sure it would change uh, my philosophy too much on how serious a violation it is in school. The only thing I think in hindsight now is that as times change, less time out of school um, would be something that I would probably, if I was a principal now, we used to to kind of have that standard of at least five weeks out for a marijuana violation. That was kind of the standard we work Mm -hmm. with. I think... At this point in time, I would shorten the time out of school and do some other proactive, positive things uh, to help the student. And and whether that's because it's now legal, I don't I don't think it is. I think it's just how things evolve and my thinking has evolved. Yeah, and I would agree with you on that. I think it's one of those things that kids are best when they're with caring adults and structure and, uh, you know, the more they're away from it, I think we saw that during the span, during the bulk of this pandemic, yeah. when so much time was spent on remote learning. And that, that was kind of the, the, the hidden gem, if you will, for schools to, that was rediscovered was that, hey, we really miss having that time together and the importance of having that time together. Well, we talked about, you know, everything I believe in in school is based on relationships and connections. And it's pretty hard to connect with kids if you don't have them in the building. So, you know, as yeah. much as we can, we want them in the school. And, and so I think the, the shorter time you can suspend somebody for a serious violation, the only exception I make to that is if they're a danger to somebody else, if it's a, some kind of violence or sure. fighting or something where someone can get hurt, then they got to be out for a while. But um, 
And and sometimes with drugs, if they're providing drugs for somebody else, that can be dangerous too. So every situation is different, but I think my thinking has evolved to the point of getting back to school as quickly as you can and still make sure they understand the seriousness of whatever the offense was. And, and that nuance that you're talking about, I think sometimes get lo- gets lost. We hear a lot about zero tolerance policies and it's something we've talked yeah. about in the past. And that's a topic, a whole other yeah. topic for another yeah. time. But, you know, under, understanding and recognizing those nuances exist, I think is critical when you're keeping tone and relationships and those things in place for sure. Never a big fan of the of the zero tolerance uh, phrase. There are some things that we yeah. wouldn't tolerate, but zero tolerance, for example, if a student has a weapon in school, certainly we can't tolerate that. Uh, but there were a few times when a student who worked at Wegmans and had a back a box cutter in his backpack because they forgot to leave it at home. Are we going to suspend him for one year? That was always a difficult situation, and no, we weren't. Uh, but zero tolerance, right. zero tolerance would tie your hands, and you'd suspend that kid for one year, and that just didn't make sense to me. So I'm glad we had some leeway. Well, it, and and the same thing apply, you know. And there were even in some of the drug yeah. situations that we ran into, someone made an honest mistake, and it was clear with the number of say prescription pills they had with yeah. them that they had honestly they were at a friend's house the night before. And it was clear that all the pills were there. They weren't missing. And there was just an honest mistake. Again, no, we're not going to maybe run you through the same thing, but we're going to have a conversation about it that, hey, you can't bring this to school. So you've been New York State Principal of the Year. You've got a street named after you. (laughs) and, And that's from the work that you did as a principal. What What are you proudest of? as your time as a principal, you know, what do you think your legacy is? Well, um, first of all, I was extremely lucky. I got to work in the place where I grew up, where my parents taught, my dad coached, where, you know, uh, I just meant a lot to me. I got to work with amazing faculty, the ones that were there when I got there and the ones that we were fortunate to hire, like yourself, were just awesome. The, the community of Fairport, the families that we worked with, as you well know, I mean, you just, as I used to say at the beginning of every school year, at the end of the opening faculty meeting is, if you can't be happy teaching or working in a school here, you probably can't be happy teaching or working in a school anywhere, because Fairport was just a, such a great place to work. So more than anything, I consider myself extremely fortunate to have been there, surrounded by so many good people. Um, what I'm most proud of, Wayne, is uh, I, I think I, I know what that is. And that is um, when I run into kids, which I do all the time or see them on Facebook or whatever, it makes me feel good when when they talk about how much they like going to Fairport High School, how much they have good memories mm-hmm. of it. And the same thing if if, uh, if I run into a faculty member and they're, and they're um, happy with the fact that they worked at Fairport High School when I was there as well, too. You, 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 you know, it's about people. And if the people that were there when you were there um, share with you that they had a good experience there, that's all you can really ask for. So that's what makes me feel sure. good. Great. Well, and I think that's a great legacy. Well, here's here's the big question, and we saved it okay. for last. And, you know, you've been retired almost 15 years now. Yep. I think it's 15 years this June coming up. And, and I know you've kept busy. And this year with the pandemic has been known as the great resignation. Um, I, and I, I changed careers even during this time period. 
Um, what advice would you give to people as they're approaching retirement, and especially those those that listen that might be administrators? It's it's definitely uh, a change that uh, you know you can navigate a lot of different ways, and you seem to have adjusted well, and and you've had a lot of different adventures along the way. I'd like to get your take on that well, as you've navigated that. I don't think I realized how important it is to have a plan when you retire. From, I mean, if you're a school administrator, you're going from 12, 14 hours a day to if you're doing nothing, you know, you've got a lot of time on your hands. So I, I really would encourage mm-hmm. people to have a plan and an idea of what's coming next. And I think retirement's the wrong word when you re, when you leave education, uh, you know, at a fairly early age, a fairly young age. It's it's a, It might be retirement from public schools and the traditional, uh, you know, way you work. But you're going to go on to something else. And I think it's important that as you retire, you have an idea of what you might want to do. I I have been fortunate enough to, I spent three years as a, as a principal at a small Catholic school, and that was just plain fun and great for three years. Mm-hmm. I've been, and I continue to uh, mentor young principals and administrators, and I love that. I've, I've worked with anywhere from five or six a year up to 16 or 17 a year. That keeps me busy and has kept me busy. The pandemic has changed things, that's for sure. It's not as busy as I have been in the past. Um, but, you know, my wife, Terry, and I travel a lot. We, we're snowbirds. We get to Florida for a few months every year. And so I guess the advice I give to people as they make the transition, because it's a bigger transition than you might realize, is to have an idea, have a thought about what you want to do. Um, you don't want to sit around and do nothing. And, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's nice to have time to do what you want to do. It's nice to have time to play golf. It's nice to have time to read a book or go on a trip, but you, you need more than that, I think as well too. So I, that would be my suggestion. That's great advice. Um, as I, as I wrap us up here, uh, I want to thank you again. And, and not only for what you've done for so many people, but for me personally, like I said, I never would have even thought about administration uh, until I met you and saw saw the work that you do, and again the little things, and um, I think it's important that that kind of mentoring continues. So those of you that are listening that are thinking about um, getting into administration, maybe reach out to Dave on Facebook um, and and see if that uh, is something that he can give you some advice on. And I want to thank you for taking the time and being our first guest on Education Matters, which is pretty exciting. So people don't have to listen to my <laughs> me run my mouth for a full hour. My pleasure, Wayne. Um, so, but uh, thanks so much again and uh, have a great day. And uh, I know you're going to Florida soon. soon. We all, yeah, yeah, got a couple of weeks. And uh, safe travels. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk again soon and we'll have you back on if you're up. Sounds for good, it. Wayne. I've enjoyed talking to you. And uh, I hope, I hope when you and I work together, you enjoyed it as much as I did because we had a lot of fun. Oh, it was a ball. It was a ball for sure. All right, we'll be in touch. That concludes this week's episode of Education Matters New York. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to being with you again next week. Have a great weekend. Take care. Mm